May I scotch a rumour that's been going around? The rumour is that we're about to have a retiring collection today for Sheffield Wednesday. I do want to... Uh, we may have our problems, but we're not there. Last week I was privileged to come back into my old pulpit and start a little series in the evening from the fifth chapter of John. I commend that series to you. It's summertime. Why not join us in the evening service? And tonight uh, Jason Clark's coming back and continuing that series. And I did point out that the, t- the title of our evening series was Life in the Sun. And I believe it's a play on two words. It's uh, Life in the Sun, S-O-N, which is the main theme, and Life in the Sun, S-U-N, a summertime series. I did point out that I was the worst person to begin that series because though I hope I'm foremost the Sun, S-O-N, worshipper, I am the back of the queue when it comes to S-U-N, worshipping uh, five minutes on the beach and I'm, I'm bored to tears. Uh, we're, all, we're all different. And so I come in uh, as number two on this little morning series. If you didn't, weren't here last Sunday, and some of you wouldn't be, I do commend to you the CD uh, of that last week. Ed, uh, Andrew preached a powerful sermon, a, a very good sermon, taking these words of Deuteronomy, which begin, these are the words, and bringing them to where we are today. For me, as a, an older gentleman, it was great to hear a, a passionate young man so deeply concerned, and an Australian at that, deeply concerned for the state of the Church of England today and praying that we wouldn't go on in the wilderness wanderings that we're looking at today. The point of the story today is that uh, we're reminded that these were people who 40 years ago could have gone in, but they didn't, and they went back. And for 40 years they wandered round and round and round. And now at last there is the chance. Well, again, in a way, I'm not the best person to deal with. It's all to do with geography. If you've seen the titles of the sermon series, it's all hill country and heading north and all that. Now, I'm not very good at geography. That's why I I, I ought to get a sat-nav in my car. I always love these stories about sat-navs that don't work. Don't you like those stories? I'm always very encouraged. Did did you say that one time ago where some rather pampered young lady wanted to go and watch Chelsea play football? Why anybody should want to go and watch Chelsea play football? I have no idea. But she did. And so they got got a taxi to take her to Stamford Bridge. The snag was uh, he put Stamford Bridge on the sat-nav and it went to Stamford Bridge in Yorkshire where there was a battle in the 15th century. By the time they realised they were wrong, the game was over. Serve her right. But the geography of these I don't know much about, but I am a bit better on the history. And it's really quite fascinating where we are in this story of Deuteronomy. Sorry it was a long reading, uh, and Anne did very well with it, but I wanted to get it all there. And I don't apologise for having the Hebrews bit, because that helps us to see we're in the hill country. That's the phrase that comes in verse 19, page 178, where we are. They're in the hill country. And yes, it's good to climb a hill and see the view. I was preaching recently at a church between Matlock and Chesterfield, at the top of a very high hill, and I'm told when you look out you can see four counties. Why anybody should want to see four counties, I have no idea, but there we are. And you can. It reminds you of the place where you go and you can see Blackpool Tower from a distance. Amazing how many places you can see Blackpool Tower from a distance, which is the best way to see Blackpool Tower, (laughs) from a distance. But when you climb the hill country here, you get a fascinating history, and I am... Very keen on history. Just see how it goes. Just see how it goes. 2010 today. We have read a letter from the Hebrews, chapter 3, 
We've no idea exactly when it was written, but you know, towards the end of the first century AD, a long time ago. And Hebrews 3 is quoting Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Psalm 95, written possibly by David way back eight, nine hundred years before, a long time ago. And, and David, the psalmist, was quoting from Deuteronomy, quoting from this story. And they, Moses, were then going back 40 years. You see that huge historical uh, sweep. And I want to suggest to you today, and we saw it last week in, in Andrew's sermon, that these words spoken by Moses speak right to the heart of where we are as individual Christians, as a church family here in Fulwood, as a denomination, as the wider church. And we are in danger of going round and round in circles. That's why in the New Testament these stories of Deuteronomy are there for our learning. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says these things, referring to these events, were written for our warning. And we read, see to it that none of you has a disobedient and unbelieving heart. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, that turns away from the living God. A disobedient and obedient heart. So may the Lord, very simply this morning, take these words uh, with all the historical uh, sweep and speak to us today. They, they often say the one lesson you learn from history is that you don't. That is that, well, it's happened before, but we never believe it's going to happen again. And time and time again in church history, we've got to this stage of wandering in the wilderness. The church in this country was even worse condition in the 18th century when John Charles Wesley came alive and the church was revived and renewed. We're in desperate straits today, but they were even worse then. And so we can learn what God can do if we will learn from history. Have you ever noticed that when some terrible tragedy happens in society, somebody almost inevitably will say on television, we must make sure it never happens again. And it always does. You see, we don't learn. Things are always going to happen again. I want to take you a little glance at two realities from these verses and ask you the question, is it happening again? Is this where we are today? Is this where I am today? God speak to us. So we look first of all at a people and then we look at God. We look at a people easily forgetful, chronically faithless and defiantly foolish. A people easily forgetful. You see in verse 19... Uh, they were reminded they'd been through all that vast and dreadful desert. It was a grim place. You didn't uh, uh, travel across that desert for the sake of watching the lovely features. There weren't any lovely features. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy, uh, they referred to, it refers to the venomous snakes and scorpions. It talks about a wasted land, a barren and howling waste. And as they journeyed through that terrible desert led by God each, one of the way, each step of the way. God provided, God watched over them, and time and time again they fantasized. They dreamt of what it was like in Egypt. They even forgot that they were slaves in Egypt. And they talked about those days in Egypt. Let me read in Exodus 16, verse 3. Here they were, 
travelling through the wilderness, and they said, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They forgot the slavery. They easily forgot and they yearned. There's a lovely reference, if you like, culinary things in Numbers chapter 11 where they said this, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. I could do well without all that lot, couldn't you? Anyway, there we are. They looked back to all those things and they were easily forgetful of the way in which God had led them. And if you look at the passage again in Deuteronomy 1, in verse 27, they even dared to say, you grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. He'd led them all the way through. He hates us. Do you ever remember the way the Lord's taken you? Are there times when things go wrong in your life and you say, does the Lord really love? Don't forget his hand. And I say to the church, of this, this church here, don't forget the way the Lord's led you. It's been my privilege to be part of it for a long time. And the Lord has led us. Let's make sure we go on remembering. And you should have heard Ed, Andrew last week speaking so passionately about the church he loved the denomination he loved and his, his fear for it at this point in time. You hear the tape and you, you feel moved as I did. And when we think the way the Lord has graciously led us over these years, let's not forget. There was once a, a terrible moment in uh, the Reformation when Latimer and Ridley were both dying for their beliefs in the 16th century. And uh, Latimer even in the flames, said to his friend Ridley, Master Ridley, play the man. We have lit a candle today that will never, pray God, be put out in this land of England. If you read anything that's going on, it's comparatively near being, being put out in this land of England. I guess Christians are being more marginalized now in our country than it's certainly in my lifetime ever and in the lifetime of anybody here today. And the challenge then is that we've got to be grateful and remember the way he's led us. And secondly, not to be chronically faithless. Look at verse uh, 21 of chapter 1. They'd reached 40 years ago, they'd reached the promised land, and God said, go up and take possession of it. I've provided it for you, chapter 1, verse 8. I've given you this land, go and take possession. I was uh, chatting with a elderly gentleman in the congregation I can say that, he's older than me there aren't many people older than me nowadays an elderly gentleman in the congregation and we're pondering some of the books of the Bible you never read there's a commentary just been written on Nahum, Zephaniah and Obadiah now I'll bet you all queue up to get your commentary on Zephaniah, Nahum and Obadiah books we don't often read but Obadiah has a lovely phrase it talks about possessing your possessions that's what a baptism service is all about. The promise to this child is that she has a, a glorious possession. The wonder of the Christian faith waiting for her. And the challenge is that she's going to be brought up prayerfully. I think I woke her up with that preference to her. There we are. Uh, she, that one day she will enjoy this possession. But the challenge to us all as Christians is not to be faithless. Now what did happen way back 40 years before? Just look at your text. You got there, and uh, 
I said to you, verse 21, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But you said, well, let's send somebody out to spy for us. They couldn't really believe. They hadn't the courage to go in, so they asked, let's have some spies to see if it's okay. The Bible doesn't commend that level of unbelief, but at least the Lord took account of it. Have you read the story in the Old Testament of a man called Gideon? When Gideon believed God was calling him to lead his people, he said, well, yes, okay, God, but it's a big job. I'll tell you what. I'll put a fleece out. I'll put my little fleece in the door, and if when I wake up tomorrow morning, there's wet on the fleece and dry on the ground, I'll go. Well, there was, but even then he was a bit dubious. So he said, one more chance, God. Tomorrow morning, the other way around. Make sure the other thing's wet and the other thing's dry, and I'll go. And eventually he went. I remember as a lad, if I wanted to do something, I'd toss a coin. You know, heads I do, tails I don't. If it came down the wrong way, I'd do the best out of three, or the best out of five, or the best out of seven, till it came down the way I wanted it to come. No, you, wouldn't, you didn't do that kind of thing. But it is a reminder to us that all too easily, God speaks to us and we are chronically faithless. But even when the spies went up, what did they see? Look at verse 25. It's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Ah, but, verse 28, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up the sky. Don't people exaggerate when they're they're unbelieving? Walls up to the sky? Really? We even saw the Anakites who were giants in the land. And they were chronically faithless. They'd come all this way through the wilderness. God had provided a manna for them. He divided the sea for them. The enemy, the Egyptians, had been drowned in the sea. He'd done all that for them. But then, what did they do? Here's the phrase. I hate it. Verse 27. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. That's an awful phrase, isn't it? You grumbled in your tents. Most of us don't grumble outwardly. Some of us do even that. But we're very good at grumbling in our tents. Some of you may remember there were very godly people who had a little text on the wall which said, remember that the Lord is the unseen uh, guest in this house. That he he hears every conversation. Would that we always believed that. Grumbling in your tents. Lacking in faith. Talking in ourselves saying we can't do it. The challenge to our day is that we should not be chronically faithless. Easily forgetful, chronically faithless, and thirdly, defiantly foolish. What did happen eventually, if you remember the story, what happened in, because of their unwillingness to go up, uh, in verse 40, they were turned round, and for 40 years they wandered round. And then they decided, okay, we'll do it our way. In verse 41, they said they'd sinned, but they didn't really repent. If they had repented, they'd have followed God's instructions. But because they now believed they could do it in their own strength, they said, we'll do it our way. We'll go up and fight. In spite of God's word of command, we will go. And they went up and they fought. And that awful phrase in verse 42, the Lord said, tell them, don't go up and fight because I will not be with you. I love the promises of the Bible where it says time and again, I am with you. 
But please note, there are times when God says, I will not be with you. And if the church in our day, wandering around, decides it will go its own way, it will defy God's laws in terms of doctrine and morality, it will do its own thing, its own way, then it's heading for disaster. And it's intriguing. Do you see the word Hormah in verse 44? They were beaten all the way to Hormah. Hormah means annihilation, destruction. That's what it means. So they went up to fight in their own strength and they came destruction. I wonder if you remember the story in the Old Testament when David, deciding he wanted to go and fight Goliath, saw the king said, David, if you are willing to do that, if you're such a fool, at least dress up in my armour. And David tried to dress up in Saul's armour and he couldn't even walk in it, let alone fight in it. And he took it off and he chose his stones and his sling and he won. Friends, I've been long enough in the ministry to see the church all too often in general deciding it will go the world's way. And we've always been taught we've got to catch up with society. We've got to change our views on sexuality to fit in with the age in which we live and the pressure to have same-sex marriage in church. I noticed a member of the Lib Dem party stating yesterday that there will be same-sex marriage in church while this coalition's in power. And some of us will face all kinds of problems. We shall have to say no to the law. We are against that which the law of our day is going to allow. And therefore, because we will not go the world's way, then there's a challenge to us. The danger is if we are defiantly foolish and we think we know better than God, if we think we can turn God's words upside down and do it our way, the end is Horma. And Horma is annihilation, destruction. But I'm so glad for my last ten minutes that I can turn away from looking from the hill country at God's people and just look at God himself. Two great themes. Patiently faithful, but also solemnly fearsome. He is patiently faithful. That's a great phrase in Scripture. May I suggest you, if you've got time, with your concordance, or as you know, nowadays, with your internet, and you get your Google, and you find out uh, how often in the Bible comes the phrase, God is faithful. And when you feel down, as I do from time to time, and I wonder, I sometimes wonder, I should have been ordained 55, I have been ordained 55 years. And I sometimes wonder, is the church any stronger than the day I was ordained? Yes and no is the answer to that one. But certainly, I long to see that revival and renewal comes. And at moments like that, I need to be reminded that God is faithful. We are faithless, we are foolish, we are forgetful. God is faithful. Just let me give you two promises. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted above your ability to bear it. I love that. I pray every day for Christians who are dying for their faith in many parts of our world. We take it for granted. We come to church when we feel like it. There are people who die because they want to go to church who are willing to face the ultimate penalty. And I pray that promise for them. God is faithful. He won't let them be tempted above their ability to bear. And whatever God says to us as a church going forward into the challenge of the future church plants, 
reaching out in our congregation, building up the community, standing firm in our denomination. God is faithful. And, Hebrew, and Hebrews 10.23, where he says that he is faithful who promised. And every one of God's promises he will fulfill. He is faithful. And that's one of the joys of, of the sacraments. Uh, communion and baptism both remind us that God has taken the first move and he is faithful. And right through this text you get two lovely promises. One there in verse, uh, it talks about God fighting for us. Verse 30, the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. There is a battle on. We don't use the words nowadays in baptism, but when I was doing baptisms those many years ago, for those who don't know me, I was vicar here for 29 years, so I did a fair number of baptisms in 29 years. And I remember, in, in the old days, the baptism service, we had, we had to pray the child would not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified and manfully fight under his banner against sin, the world, and the devil. And one dear mother said, I don't, I'm a pacifist, so I don't want all those words about fighting. And I said, I'm terribly sorry, that's part of the service. And whether you like it or not, your child would have to fight, not in a war, uh, of the world, not that kind of war you may be a pacifist of, but in a spiritual war world there's always a battle on and there is a fight I trust we're up for it but God will fight for us and the other lovely phrase verse uh, 31 the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son a lovely picture the Bible talks about God being like a mother bird the mother is there as well but a father carrying, a father caring. Uh, in a few weeks' time, Margaret and I uh, celebrate our 55th wedding anniversary. I forgot to test my wife this morning whether she remembers the wedding text. I remember our wedding text. Isaiah 41, verse 30, 13. I, the Lord, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will be with you. Lovely promise. And in a wedding service, you... You're always playing about with right hands. You take the right hand of the bride. Uh, I did a wedding a couple of weeks ago. I was involved in a wedding for the first time for ages. You take a right hand, you place the right hand together, and you hold their right hands in your hand as a minister. And uh, the right hand of the minister holds the two right hands together, and there is the promise. The third hand holds it together. And the promise of our faithful God is that he will not let us down. And that was what they proved. And that was a challenge to prove it yet again. And it's my hope and prayer that this church and you and I will go out with that belief. But I want to finish by reminding you that God is not only patiently faithful, he had to be that, he is solemnly fearsome. You notice in the passage we read, verse 37, it talks about the Lord being angry. Verse 34, the Lord was angry. Now, I'm not a, a believer in going back to the past. Nothing worse with older people who start telling you it was always the best in the old days, you know, the, the, the old. I'm not one of those, but I was brought up with a book of common prayer. And the handful of us here remember the book of common prayer, that uh, little book. And every morning service, every morning prayer, you sang what was called the Vanity. The Vanity is Psalm 95. The Vanity is the Latin of all come. 
And it started, oh come, let's sing unto the Lord. And so every morning, every Sunday morning, we sang the Vanity. And every Sunday morning, we, were, we sang this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did when your fathers tested and tried me. Do not harden your hearts. Now, I actually think we do miss something of that. No, I don't want to go back to the past. I don't want to use words that mean nothing to our generation. I am delighted that we're expressing old truths in new language. Please, if you're my age and you always want to go back to the past, do be careful. And please, just be sure you know what all those old-fashioned words mean. I remember uh, a gentleman from the past here who uh, got upset with all the changes, even my, in my day. We just sing, sing a thing called the Benedicity. And the Benedicity finished up, O Ananias, Azarias, and my sale, bless ye the Lord. Anybody remember that? O Ananias, Azarias. So I asked this elderly gentleman, every week you sing, O Ananias, Azarias, and my sale, who are they? Oh, he said, angels. Wrong, said I. They were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you know that? Well, you do now. And You see, we're not meant to be using old language. But I think it was good that we were reminded every Sunday that God is a God of judgment. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Please, don't trifle with God. Don't play games with God. God is not mocked. We don't leave the Old Testament behind. Oh, it is true, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, has been satisfied in the death of Jesus. The wrath of God fell upon Jesus. We shan't face that final wrath if we're believers in Jesus. When that child comes to personal faith, she will know a salvation which is sure for all eternity. So that wrath has been satisfied, but he is still a God of judgment. Do you remember a day, a few years ago, when York Minster was struck with lightning? Extraordinary day. It was, some people fear, because just long before that, a bishop had been consecrated, a bishop of Durham, whose views were completely heretical in all sorts of ways, and some people saw this as God's judgment. Well, I went that morning to take a, a, a cremation, a crematorium, and there was then a very enthusiastic Pentecostal assistant at the crematorium, who, he and I got on very well, he couldn't understand why I was an Anglican, but apart from that, we, we got on very well with each other, and... Uh, when I arrived that morning, he said, Hello, Mr. Acking, is it the wrath of God? I said, Is what the wrath of God? And when he thought about the, 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 the York Minster being struck by light, it was God showing his wrath. Now, do you believe that? The interesting sequel, this is interesting, the sequel. Some years later, when eventually they restored York Minster, I saw with my own eyes and heard my own ears from television. The then Archbishop, uh, when they restored it, said, isn't it a miracle, listen, that, that was a word, isn't it a miracle that the lightning never spoilt those stained glass windows? Now, he would have been horrified, and indeed was horrified, anybody should suggest that God's wrath was shown against heresy. But stained glass windows, God does look after the stained glass windows. <laughs> Do you really believe that? Do you, and if it weren't so funny, it would be serious. That he actually believed that was a miracle. As though we need to live with these glorious stained glass windows that a man can preach there's no resurrection when he says every Sunday there is one. It's one we don't have to worry about. 
a challenge to us all. Every now and again, it's a reminder that there is a wrath of God. We do face him. And if I do not believe that the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross, if I cease to preach the message which alone can bring people salvation, then we face his wrath ourselves. Now, in the context of this story, as I finish, here they were, they were being reminded, it need not have been like this. You've spent 40 years wandering round and round because you wouldn't believe, because you've forgotten God's promises, and because you were deliberately disobedient. Now, a second chance. And I would like to think that in the mercy of God, in his anger and wrath, he gives us another chance. You see, I know God is not confined to nations. Oh yes, he used God's old people of Israel. And he may well still have a plan that he can work through modern Israel. That's in his sovereignty. But there was a moment when the Jewish nation, represented by its leaders, said when Jesus was dying, his blood be on us and on our children. And they went into the wilderness for centuries and centuries and centuries. Our country has a Christian heritage. It has no divine right to continue it. The denomination of which I am so pleased to be a part, where I came to Christ, where I've served him all these 50 odd years, has a wonderful heritage. But God can do without us. He doesn't need us. He can bypass us. This lovely church, which means so much to us, well, God is blessing now. But let's not assume and take it for granted. And the challenge of these words, as I stand, if you like, on the hill, and I look back, look back through history, take Hebrews saying, you see, that's what, God is still saying to us, don't have an unbelieving heart. Make sure you enter in. Hebrews is full of entering into the rest of God, being at peace with God because of Christ, and at peace in our hearts. And I, I say to you, as I say to myself, let's keep looking away from ourselves, but to the God who alone can do it. And if I concentrate on what he's promised and what he's done. The future is bright. In a few minutes we're going to sing about some lovely things that we want. Isn't this what I need to pray for every day? Pardon for sin, a peace that endureth, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. I pray that will be yours and ours as in a minute we sing together. Now let's pray.